Hello, welcome to You Don't Know Mojack. My name is Ryan. My name is Brent. And on this episode, Brent and I, we're doing the best we can with SST 141. It's the Brian Ritchie LP, The Blend. First time we've had one of his releases on the show. And Brent, we've got a special guest. Yeah, Brian Ritchie's on the podcast. The man himself. The man himself. Very cool to have him on. It's an interesting interview because, you know, it's very focused on this record. I feel like a lot of the time when people are talking about Brian or with him, there's a lot of discussion about the Violent Femmes, as well there should be. Mm-hmm. This uh, discussion is very focused on uh, this record and the tracks and the musicians, which is excellent because, yet again, there's not much info out there on this record, so a real treat to do a deep dive into Brian's record. And we'll see him a few more times on the podcast here, but uh, a great way to start off our introduction to Brian's work. Looking forward to it. Yeah. Brent, before we get going here, um, I suspect you have some spiels for the people, as do I. Uh, Who wants to go first? You go first. I am going to mention a few new releases here that I think will be of interest to you and to our listeners. So Mike Watt and the Black Gang just put out a 7-inch recently on Nomad Eel Records. That's that label out of San Pedro. Ultra, super, mega, limited edition, lathe cut, 7-inch doing a Beefheart cover, sold out instantly, but you can still go and get that track. Mm -hmm. My Head is My Only Home, as well as another one there, Nomad Eel Records, new track, uh, new couple of tracks, sorry, from Mike Watt and the Black Gang, and people should check that out. Books, literature, Brant. I have a couple of pieces of literature to recommend to you and the people. Okay. Okay. I haven't started reading either of them, but I can't wait to start reading both of them. Uh, I got the the Story of Bad Religion book, oh, yeah. Do What You Want. Yeah. I'm really pumped to read this story, um, not just for kind of the old L.A. punk scene, California punk scene, and the history of the band, but um, I also think, like I still think that they put out good music i'm interested in kind of reading about the uh the story of the different band members and kind of the big rise of the southern california sound in the uh late 80s into the early 90s that just got huge and was really kicked off by a bad religion album suffer and so really looking forward to reading that book uh who's the author i think it's the same guy who did the my damage book with keith it's by Bad Religion and Jim Ruland. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm sure it'll be a good read. Another book I, uh, I had to mention is by Sam McFeeters. And Sam McFeeters, of course, from Born Against and Veriform Records, there's this book. It's been out for a while, but I just found out about it. It's called Mutations. Yeah. The Many Strange Faces of Hardcore Punk. And I'm really looking forward to reading this one. I, I I don't know like what it is supposed to cover or kind of what its overall theme is, but it seemed interesting enough. And the 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 chapters um, cover a number of bands and artists that are of interest to me. Um, they're split up into two kind of sections: questions and artists. Oh, sorry, three sections: questions artists 
and problems. But there are uh, chapters on Decreutzen. Crucifix, I think. There might be. I don't see it in there in the uh, the chapter titles. There's a there's a chapter like it's a conversation with Aaron Cometbus. That'll be a good read. Anyways, there it's about 225 pages on uh, just weird and uh, obscure sort of it seems hardcore punk uh, people. So looking forward to reading that. Uh, one of the reviews. Call, says it is disturbingly entertaining. So, if it's disturbingly entertaining and about hardcore punk, then got to check that out. And a third book, a couple of years ago, maybe it was even longer than that, maybe three or four. Rocket eighty eight put out a Devo book called Devo the Brand. It was kind of the first authorized Devo book, and they had these ultra expensive hardcover editions only that actually all sold out basically, or at least the, the copies that I could possibly afford. But they are reissuing it in a soft cover version, and it's more affordable. And so if you missed that the first time around, you should check out that book. I know I'm going to order that one because I always felt pretty bummed out that I missed it. And Rocket 88 is the same publisher that put out that great Dinosaur Jr. book that we referenced on the You're Living All Over Me episode. Right. So I check out those three books. Cool, man. Then I've got uh, back to music. I've got a recommend for you. Okay. And it is a, a French noise rock band called Poutre. You better spell that. <laughs> P-O-U-T-R-E. Poutre. And their latest released, Last In, First Out. I'm really, really digging it. It's, it's modern noise rock, but it's also got some, I, I don't know, angular kind of post-hardcore, great vocals on it, great guitar playing too. I think you'll really like the, like, you know, if you're a guitar geek as you are, you'll really, really like the guitar playing on this Poudre record. Are the vocals en français? No, anglais. Um, But they have a couple of earlier releases that I've not been able to track down. Uh, They're not not easy to find, or at least hard copies anyways, of course, physical copies. Uh, this one, though, is available now on Bandcamp, so I was able to snag it. Released on, it looks like a co-release between like five or six labels, but the two labels that I recognize on it are Rejuvenation Records and Cat Attack. Those labels I've got some records on. This was recorded like, you know, Legit in Marseille, France, January 2019. It's a pretty new release. It's awesome. You should check it out. Okay. Then finally, I wanted to um, give you a bit of a junkyard update, Brent. <laughs> All right. Shall I? Yeah, please. Okay. So I pro- I probably was not paying super attention when you were talking about junkyard before because I think I think you had recommended the record, I think, after researching this and and giving them a legit listen. It's the album High Water. Is that right? Pro- possibly. That was their like comeback record a few their years ago. Their latest one, right? And it's the one where you're yeah. like, man, if you like ACDC, you'll like Junkyard. That's, right. that's the one, right? It's got the song Faded on it or something? Yes. Yeah, yes. okay. So I found that. I listened to it. Yeah. I get why you would recommend it as ACDC-esque, 
But let's not forget about, I don't know, Simple Man or Hollywood. And <laughs> Great songs. That is hair metal for me. I can't, I cannot do it. And here's the thing. Just like if you recommend, you know, I would like Hanoi Rocks because they sound like The Clash. If I want to listen to The Clash, I'm going to listen to The Clash. If you want to recommend Junkyard to me because they sound like ACDC, guess who I'm going to listen to? Junkyard. No, man. I'm going to listen to ACDC and probably also some replacements because you always should listen to the replacements. But um, sorry, dude, I gave the Junkyard a legit try and I can't do it. Okay, fair enough. I tried. But I suspect that you in your upcoming spiels here, perhaps the letter K, and I've got a... A, I've got a re-recommend for you that I don't know that you've given a legit listen to yet. So okay. why don't you take it away with your spiels? Okay, I will. I'm going to start with a podcast shout-out. And I love this podcast so much, I'm probably just going to give them a shout-out every episode because they're just interviewing all my favorite artists. And I know I've mentioned them before, but it's the Paisley Stage Raspberry and Rhyme podcast. Right. They've just been killing it lately. They did what they called a panel discussion on Bill Bartell from White Flag. You know, Pat wow. Fear, uh, Gasatanka Records, etc. And the guests that they had were Dave Markey, Jennifer Schwartz, and Jordan Schwartz, and Ronnie Barnett from The Muffs, who are all great friends with Bill, and it it is awesome. Everyone wow. should check that out. Just, the stories are just hilarious that they tell. Yeah. That one I would check out. I'm a I'm a fan of White Flag, and there's a lot of mystery around that band too, right? Uh, and Bill Bartell, and, Dave yeah, Mar- exactly. Dave Markey's talking about the title he has for the documentary he thinks should be made about Bill Bartell, called "The Secret Life of Bill Bartell." Yeah, yeah, he had a real interesting life. Oh, no doubt. And uh, I I mean I like their records. I think a lot of people. Like, look, there is some humor in White Flag music, and I think a lot of people write them off as being like a joke band. Yeah. But I, I strongly disagree with that. Some of their records are um, really, really... Like, all of them have got great music on them, but some of them are really, really killer. And I really even like their um, mid-to-later period stuff, not just the early hardcore stuff. Yeah. I have a question for you, though. Brand. I wonder, like, this is kind of white flag. It's on the white flag tree, maybe not on the SS tree, but on the white flag tree. Have you ever checked out the Tater Tots? Oh yeah, for Do you sure. You know that band? Yep. Uh, well, I, yeah, the, I go to them because of the Red Cross connection. But yeah, I know them. Okay, so what are they like? I mean, I've always read about them, and I've never actually taken the time. Is that something I should check out? Speaking of white flag, they talk about tater tots a lot in this panel discussion but yeah i mean do you like red cross or like power pop you know it's like he was i think a pretty big fan of the beatles too oh okay so well i think i'm gonna check them out and i'll actually check out this podcast because i gotta do a deep dive some white flag records are really hard to to track down and they were never re-released ever yeah yeah, okay. Ryan, did you check out the Henry and Heidi's $1.99 show? No. Do you know what it is? I do. Okay. It's uh, like they charge a buck ninety nine to listen to their video show, right? Yeah, it's worth it. Uh, the first episode is like a 
deep dive into Henry's recollections on the Minutemen. It's actually a really good tribute to Dee Boone. And, you know, he, he talks, he tells a lot of stories about Black Flag and Minutemen touring. A, a great story that I'm not going to ruin, I'll let him tell it, about a track off of Buzzer Howl. And it shows off some promo stuff. You know, he's one of those guys that has everything, right? Kept he's everything. He's got all the, all the ephemera. Yep. And so uh, it's worth the money, man. And I'm looking forward to more of those. It's a great idea that they came up with for sure. Okay, also related to Henry is these videos that have been kind of trickling out on this You Discover Music YouTube channel. He, it's Henry interviewing people. And he's interviewed Lisa Fancher of Frontier Records. Larry Hardy of In the Red Records. He's a bit, he's always been a big fan of In the Red, and I think they're distributing his stuff now, his two thirteen sixty one uh, stuff. Yeah. He's kind of connected with them. Uh, he interviews Penelope. He interviews Penelope Spheris and Cheryl Pavleski of Omnivore Music as well. Hmm. So those are worth checking out. Okay, finally, Ryan, I have the K section of my get this shit off my phone spiel. Do you have a name for me? Yeah, it's. Okay, let's hear them. I've got my pen ready. <laughs> Any good? Yeah, it's good. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay, Cosmos with a K, self-titled, 2007, Spacey Krautrock side project of Michel Away Levine from Voivod. You ever heard of ah, that? I have not, but I, I love the names of the band members in Voivod. Yeah. And I, and I love Voivod. The first yeah. few records are great. Yeah. So what's that one like? It, it's pretty good. I mean, he plays drums on it. There's other musicians. There's some guitar on it, but it's, you know, it's definitely a tribute to, to Krautrock for sure. Mm, interesting. Okay, Kron, with two A's, K-R-A-A-N, Wintrup. Second album, 1973. They're like a German jazz fusion Krautrock and they reunited 20 years ago and they're still going. That's a great record. Klaus Floride, Because I Say So. One of oh, his yeah. one of his three solo records on Alternative Tentacles. Of course, he was the bassist for the Dead Kennedys. I just love all the weird, trippy stuff that's deep in the recesses of AT's catalog. Yeah. Have you ever heard any of East Bay Ray's solo stuff? That's good. I think I have. Yeah, he had a single, a 12-inch, and he's got a full length with, it's like East Bay Ray and blah, blah, blah. I can't remember the band. Okay. But uh, I, I have it. I have it. I just haven't heard it for a while. But they all have good tracks on them. I, and, you know, Ray's guitar playing was next to Jello, probably my favorite part of Dead Kennedys, for sure. I loved his for sure. yeah. surf space guitar sound. Love it. Well, if anybody's looking for some noisy, throbbing, gristle-esque experimental art rock, check out, these, check out these Klaus Fluoride records. Yeah. Okay, here's a reference to, to last week's episode. I did the King Bees self-titled 1980 record. Oh, yeah. Yeah, part of the early 80s rockabilly revival. Rex Roberts is on drums, who played drums on the Divine Horseman record we talked about last week. And, I didn't know this, but vocalist-guitarist Jamie James is from Toronto, Canada. No way. Yeah. You know, that doesn't surprise me. I guess I've, I didn't know that, but 
you you would find a fair amount of those records around. I bet you they toured in Canada a fair amount back then. Yeah, it's a good one. Okay, here's one for you, Ryan. I know you like this band. Kill Slug, answer the call. Yes. Like I said last week, if it's on Tang, it's guaranteed awesome. You betcha. They repressed that one a few years ago, too. It used to be hard to get, but you can get it now. Yeah. Awesome Boston dirge rock. Kind of like Flipper or something like that. Here's here's a recommend from you, Ryan. Chaos. With a K. Oh, yeah. yeah. Amy. Yeah. Is it Amy. good? Well, I did the complete Chaos. Those are both with Ks, by the way. Yep. It's a compilation with live demos. Um of course. It has the it has the single on it too, right? Yep, product of a sick mind. I think you brought them up because of the Amy Witchman connection. Totally. She was on a Jeff Dahl record that I was spieling about and I and she re, her playing really stuck out for me and I didn't realize that she was in Sister Goddamn and then I I went a little deeper and I found Chaos. It sounded cool. Yeah, well one of the cool things about this is there's a track on here called Iron Dream which I knew I had heard before, and then I remembered the No Man's cover it on a Man's Ruin 7-inch that I have. No way. Yeah. So are, so what's the chaos like? Is it worth checking out? Because I, I just oh, yeah. haven't gotten there yet. It's on my to-do list. Yeah, you'll like it, man. Okay, right on. It's like, you know, late 70s punk rock, pre-hardcore, you know? Nice. So it has some rock to it. Yes. It actually rocks. Nice. Yeah. Okay, Conk. Here's one that's on the tr SS tree. The Sound of Conk, a compilation that came out on Soul Jazz Records. New York City post-punk Afrobeat group we talked about probably on episode 97, Sonic Youth's debut record. Richard Edson was the drummer for Conk and for Sonic Youth on that record. Ah, yes. Caius Ryan, Blues for the Red Sun. Oh, yeah. 1992. Their second album, usually... I go to uh, Welcome to Sky Valley, but I put this one on occasionally. Nick Oliveri plays here, but after this, he was replaced by Scott Reeder, who is on the SS Tree. He played on the Desperate Teenage Love Doll soundtrack in the band Dark Side. Yes. We're a long way off from uh, some of the stuff that he's connected to, like Sort of Quartet and Fatso Jetson, but I can't wait to get to it. Community FK. The Vision and The Voice, 1983 on Independent Project Records. That's Bruce Bruce Leischer of Savage Republic's label. Amazing, experimental, industrial, gothy art rock. I just love it. And speaking of books, Ryan, I saw this book recently that I just have to check out if I can track it down. It's by this guy, Mikey or Mickey Bean, I'm not sure. It's called Phantoms, The Rise of Death Rock from the L.A. Punk Scene. I saw Whoa. somebody review it on YouTube. It's 600 pages. Ooh. It looks like super in-depth. Phantoms. Mickey Bean. Okay, Ryan, here's one you might be interested in. King Crimson, KC50. Do you know what that is? KC50? KC50. Yeah. Is that is that one of their, like, uh, tourage live box sets? It's 50 rare or unreleased tracks from the band's archives, and each track has a commentary from the band's manager and producer, David Singleton. So I'm kind of working my way through those. They're really cool. Okay. I got that confused because I know that they 
they released a box set on the tour that I saw them a few years back, three or four years, maybe, maybe more like three, probably. Uh, they released a box set of that tour. And then they just released another box set of like their last tour before the plague. And that's the one I thought you were referencing perhaps, but this is something different. Casey 50. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Ryan, you know how you like doom metal now? Hey, <laughs> I like way more. I like very little, but I like way more than I did before I started the podcast. One of the best parts about doing the show with you. All right. Well, check out the band Chemis. K-H-E-M-M-I-S. Hunted from 2016 would be a good place to start. It's on that label, 20 bucks spin. It might be a little too heavy metal for you. I'm not sure, but check it out. Decibel Magazine has been all over this band. They picked this record as their album of the year. Uh, they recently released their list of the 100 best episodes of the decade, 2010 to 2019, and this was number two on that list. You might like it. Whoa. Okay. Killdozer, Ryan, The Last Waltz, yes. a great yes. Milwaukee band, which is fitting because we're going to be going to Milwaukee right away here. 1996 Man's Ruin Record. I think it's their last show that they played is what it is. It's a live album anyways. Really good. Love Killdozer. I, was, I listened to uh, 12 Point Buck earlier this week, actually. That's a good one. Oh, yeah. Do you, have you ever heard their single where they do EMF's song, yeah. Unbelievable? I've heard it. So yeah. good. Yeah. So good. Okay, Ryan, Kill Kenny Cats. Do you know who they are? I don't. Okay, there's one record... I think only it's called hands down 1986 coyote records which is some sort of twin tone subsidiary they're from yep. athens georgia indie rock with a kind of a roots rock vibe also they had an ep on texas hotel as well that label i discovered them on this great kind of compilation of videos jordan schwartz actually posted of live footage from all these bands at this 688 club in atlanta if you search up 688 club anniversary in youtube there's amazing footage from this club all pro shot of like iggy pop sonic youth butthole surfers psychedelic furs gang of four stranglers black flag in my head era pro um, shot yeah no way mr crow's garden like pre black crows there's some great footage on there and that's where i saw this kill kenny cats band and they're really good okay I'll check that out. Castrells, kind of a shoegazy band from Halifax, Nova Scotia, Canada. They have a number of great records and a brand new one called Dream or Don't Dream, and it features a track with Jay Mascus on guitar. I read something about that and I checked it out. It was, it was, it didn't blow my mind, but I, I can see, uh, I, I can see why you would like it a bit more than me. Yeah. Okay. A band I bet you like, Ryan karate karate what's oh, yeah. karate great jazzy punk band from boston featuring jeff farina who happens to be the brother of amy farina who's partners with ian mckay in the great band Kuriki. i know of them because of the in the fish tank series which is on dutch label concurrent which is probably on my radar because of the no means no album that came out on in the fish tank which is kind of like a bbc recordings thing where they yes. get these bands to like, generally they're doing covers or whatever, right? 
And there's yeah. some great in the fish tanks, by the way. Sonic Youth has one with the X. There's a Motorcycle one, June of 44. Anyways, Volume 12 is a span karate. And on this one, they, they do uh, some Minutemen songs. The Only Minority. Bob Dylan wrote propaganda songs. And This Ain't No Picnic. And there's another SST connection. They do the Beef Eater track, Need a Job which was originally produced by Kenny Dredd and David Byers of the HR band. No way. Yeah, karate has completely escaped me. No way. I have to check that out. Yeah, 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 that sounds good. Okay, here's one that's kind of a recommend, I think, from you, Ryan. The Carl Hendricks Rock Band. Yeah, well, I mean, Carl Hendricks, Carl Hendricks Trio, Carl Hendricks Rock Band. He had a number of names, but uh, every record is great. Yeah, I loved it, man. Yeah, I definitely need to hear more Carl Hendricks. He was uh, very prolific in his time too. Some something in the order of maybe like eight to ten LPs, and about the same amount of singles as well. Yeah. But uh, great, great songwriter. Yeah, great music. The world says from two thousand seven is the one I checked out. And when you mentioned Carl, we got a email I want to read to you from our podcast pal David Martin. This will have some stuff you might want to dig into. And I'm sure you know about a lot of this already and just didn't mention it. But So he, he sent us an email talking about Carl's other bands, Sledgehammer and The Speaking Canaries, or The Speaking Canaries. Right, Sledgehammer, Big Water. Yeah. Yes. So then he's talking about a band called The Adult Section that Carl was in, I think. No, that is the title of his last full length. Oh, okay. Sorry, I'm just scanning the <laughs> the email that he sent here. He says, I really feel Carl would have loved the podcast. And he mentions releasing a Carl, one of Carl's records himself. So I asked him what he meant by that. Here's what he said. So there's some, there's some stuff in here that you, you might be aware of or you might want to check out. He goes, the story is a bit convoluted, but I ran Mind Cure Records for a bit in the 1990s. There are three distinct errors of Mind Cure with each one of them being run by a different person. The label was started by Mike Lavella, later of Gearhead Magazine and record label fame. He put out cassettes by his hardcore bands Real Enemy and Half-Life, as well as cassettes by other Pittsburgh hardcore bands like Savage Amused and Battered Citizens. He also put out two Half-Life 7 inches. He moved to San Francisco in 1988 and the label was left dormant. In the early 90s, when I decided to put out a single by the Carl Hendricks Trio, I somehow came up with the idea that the label should be Mind Cure. I called Mike up, ran the idea by him, and he was fine with it. I ended up putting out five 7-inch singles and two LPs. Those were two Carl Hendricks Trio 7-inches, a Cynic single, which I have, and two JT of Original Sin's Brother JT fame projects. The two LPs were both by The Speaking Canaries. In the 2000s, a good friend of mine, Mike Siemens, who was briefly my intern in the Matador days, decided to open a record store in Pittsburgh and for whatever reason got it in his head that he should call the store Mind Cure. Calls were made to me and Lavella and we signed off on it. He had already been putting out some records, Deer Skull Records, and made the wise choice to switch the label name to Mind Cure as well. He put out a lot of great Pittsburgh punk records and reissued the real Enemy, Savage Amused, and Battered Citizens, Mind Cure cassettes as LPs. Did an archival record by the Pittsburgh Bats that featured author Michael 
Chabon on vocals and a really ambitious year-long singles project. The label has been dormant for a bit and Mike sold the store a couple of years back, but there are rumors of a few new records on the horizon. Like I said, convoluted. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, the two singles on Mind Cure by Carl Hendricks, that's the baseball cards and checking you out singles. I've got them both also great. All Carl is good. Okay, I'm going to, I'm taking, geez, this is taking up too much time. I got to plow through these. Kill Ugly Pop, Leatherface Gets Religion, 1986, a comp. They only did a few 12-inch singles. This is a UK band that sounds kind of like the Cramps. Good stuff. Ryan, I did the King Buzzle with Trevor Dunn, Gift of Sacrifice, the brand new one. Didn't blow me away. Yeah, it's just it's just okay. Yeah. Buzz's first solo record is way better. Agreed. There are some SST connections lately with Buzz, though. There's the six-pack 10-inch that he did on Amphetamine Reptile, where he covers the yep. Black Flag song Six Pack, and the Melvins and Mudhoney Lazy White Boy record where they do my work. Okay, here's a heavy recommend for any anyone outside of Western Canada, because they probably don't know this band, one of your favorites <laughs> and mine, Kittens. Oh, yeah. I did the record Tiger Comet. It's on Spotify, by the way, if, if anyone wants to check them out. That's a good one to check out. There's also a comp of early cassettes called Lo-Fi Classics on Spotify, but they have other great albums that are not on there, unfortunately. But Bazooka and the Hustlers not on there? It's not on there, unfortunately. Amazing wow. noise rock from Winnipeg. David Kelly, their drummer, unfortunately passed away in 2008. So, Brant, my K, re-recommend, unless you mention it, which I don't think you will. But okay. unless you mention it, I'm going to re-recommend my K band. I was going to tie into the kittens as well, but keep going. Okay. That's completely random. Okay. Another Winnipeg band, Ken Mode. Oh, yeah. Named They've got a kitten's tie as well, right? They do, yeah. Named, her a, named after a Henry Rollins quote, actually, from Get in the Van. Kill everyone now mode. Success is the record I really like from 2015 on Season of Mist, engineered by Steve Albini. Do you know the record, Ryan? You know, I have tried to get into Ken mode a few times, and I should like them, but they just haven't broken through yet. I do know that record, um, but I don't own it. I've I've just taken a spin through it, and it didn't sink in. Try it again. It seems like it would be okay. right up your alley. Mm-hmm. King Diamond, Conspiracy. There's one that is nowhere near being up your alley. I love King <laughs> Diamond, and his new record better not get delayed because of this COVID horseshit. Or I'm going to so help me God if it does. Kinski, Down Below, It's Chaos, 2007 Sub Pop Records. One of those overlooked Sub Pop gems. Psychedelic rock from Seattle. Kinski, good stuff. Kim Salmon and the guys from Mudhoney, Until is the name of the record. A bunch of the tunes they wrote together and recorded in Seattle in 1995. There's no covers on it, it's all originals. Not released in tw until 2011 on this great Australian label called Bang Records, who put out all kinds of great stuff. It's got some serious Stooges action going on on this uh, Kim Salmon and the guys from Munhoney record. And also, speaking of K-bands, I noticed Bang Records is releasing an unreleased studio recording by the band Knoxville Girls, which actually has an SS... Tie, SST tie-in as well. Bob Burt plays the drums in that band. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. Two more for you here, Ryan. 
King Snake Roost. I bet you you like that band. Oh, yeah. Ground Into the Dirt, 1990 Amphetamine Reptile. An- Speaking of Australia, they're an Aussie band. Not dissimilar to Killdozer. Good stuff. And finally, Ryan, one that you'll appreciate. I'm not sure how you pronounce his first name. Is it Kale Johansson? Kel Johansson Kel from Johansson. Trotsky. Yeah. yeah. Tower of Isolation, 2001. Solo album. He's, of course, the guitarist, vocalist in Urinal's 100 Flowers. Uh, also Trotsky and all the related bands. Dave Nolte plays bass on this record. Tom Watson from Slovenly plays on a track. Hunter Crowley and John Frank handle the drums from The Last and all the other bands. It's mastered by John Golden. It's got a great 60s psychedelic rock feel. Some of the songs really remind me of uh, 80s era Damned. It's good. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you can get his stuff from Bandcamp, right? Like, he's got a couple of full lengths there, I think. Yeah. So definitely worth checking out, I agree. Yeah. Okay, so you didn't mention my re-recommend. Okay. Shall I before, shall I before we uh, get into the blend? Yep. Okay, I knew you were going to be doing K this week, and I wondered whether you had ever checked out Kowloon Walled City yet. Yeah, I... I... I'd already heard the one record that's on uh, uh, Neurot. Well, I'm I need I need you to be more into them. Okay. So, it's a re-recommend, Kowloon Walled City for Ultimate Heaviness and the Boris level down tuning, okay. as well. The vocals this time around when I was listening to them this week reminded me of Kittens vocals. That's why I was thinking of it. And I was like, man, if you don't mention Kittens or Kowloon Wall City on your K, recognizing that you're getting it off your phone, but you need to give them some street cred when you can. Their album, Container Ships, is so solid. Their songs, Cornerstone or Wrong Side of History. You need to check out Kowloon Wall City one more time, Brant, especially the album, Container Ships. If I listen to Junkyard, goddammit, you're going to listen to this record one more time and report back, please. <laughs> aye, aye. Okay. I'm on. Very good. So good. And I'm glad you mentioned Kittens. i got to check them out again. It's been a while. Oh, and Shallow North Dakota. We should mention them. Why not? Why not? Yeah. If you want to talk Canadian noise rock from back then and you're talking about Kittens, you might as well mention Shallow ND. All right, Brant. Any more spiels? That's it, man. Sorry. Uh, thanks for bearing with me, everyone, while I get this shit off my phone. It's very therapeutic for you. I get oh, this sense. Like, it's like... Is it? It's like when you walk around your house with a garbage bag just throwing shit out or something. <laughs> very gratifying. Virtu- virtually throwing it out, though, right? They're still on your 7 terabyte hard drive, aren't they? Oh, yeah. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> All right, Just man. in case I ever have to put them on back on my phone. In a pinch. Exactly. Yeah. Well, hey, once you get through all of the letters of the alphabet, you can flip it and start getting stuff on your phone. Why not? We we have enough episodes, that's for sure. Oh, stuff's going back on my phone as we speak. Like this process okay. is just going to start over as soon as I get back to A. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Very reminiscent of my iPod strategy. Yes. All right. Let's get into the blend. History lesson, part one. So, Brent, I mentioned it at the outset, you know, a lot of people know Brian from the Violent Femmes, as they should, but 
Brian's first solo album. Very interesting to get into this one. And it is out there and it is good. There's some really killer tunes on here. Yeah. I, I didn't know it. Considering I'm a, I consider myself to be a fairly big fan of the Violent Femmes, I'd never heard this record prior to, to doing this podcast. And I love it. Yeah, I think I listened to it a couple of times when I bought it way, way back. And I haven't gone back to it. My copy, I, when I bought it too, I remember I bought it's like a cutout. It's sealed. Um, when I bought it, it even had the hype sticker on it. It says, Wild Man from the Violent Femmes branches out with an exciting album full of surprises. And he certainly does. Yeah. I'm just going to give you a little history lesson here, Ryan, and then we'll throw it over to Brian, okay? Yep. So as you mentioned, Ryan, we can't talk about Brian Ritchie without talking about the Violent Femmes. Founded in Milwaukee, Wisconsin in 1980 by bassist Brian Ritchie and drummer Victor DeLorenzo. Sometime after forming, Brian meets Gordon Gano, who at the time was still a senior in high school. He bumps into him at an oil tasters gig at the legendary Milwaukee punk club, The Starship. Gordon invites Brian to join him at his Honor Society induction ceremony at Rufus King High School, and they hijack the event and play future Violent Femmes classic, Gone Daddy Gone, at this event. This act went down on his permanent record, which is where that line... <laughs> that's where the line in that classic song uh, by the Violent Femmes off their first record, Kiss Off, comes from. That's, that's what they're referencing. Uh, apparently, they were first known as Hitler's Missing Testies, and Brian came up with the name Violent Femmes as a fake band name, and it just stuck. As you'll hear in the interview right away here, on August 23rd, 1981, they were busking on the street in front of the Oriental Theater in Milwaukee, where the Pretenders were performing. James Honeyman Scott and Chrissy Hind of the Pretenders saw them performing and invited them to play prior to their set that night. They went on to record their self-titled debut in 1982, and when it was released by Slash Records in April of 1983, it's almost immediately hailed as a classic. It's estimated to have sold somewhere around two to three million copies and frequently makes all types of, you know, greatest record of all time lists, yeah. best of the 80s. Yeah. Their second album, Hollowed Ground, was released in June of 1984. Kind of divided fans a little bit. Gordon's father was a Baptist minister, and the album contains a lot of Christian themes uh, with a more American roots vibe and it turned off some of the fans of the first album's blazing folk punk their third album the blind leading the naked released in 1986 produced by jerry harrison of talking heads they rocked it up a bit for that one but it was poorly received also like the previous record they added a lot of guest musicians uh, both to the record and the tour including some who play on the record the blend that we're about to talk talk about they toured like crazy and when they came off the road they agreed to go on hiatus within months brian is releasing this record and gordon has a new gospel tinge pro project called the mercy seat i found this cool piece on the please kill me blog by this guy john cruth this is what he says i hung out with brian a lot getting high going to restaurants and jamming Having split from his first wife, Richie was holed up in a small room at the landmark Shorecrest Hotel, 
filled with a variety of instruments, exotic rugs, and Catholic vestments which he collected. With the shades perpetually drawn and the lingering perfume of pot smoke and incense in the air, his lair had the atmosphere of a debauched dungeon. With the release of Brian's first solo album, I joined his touring band, Elephant Lip, sharing bills with seminal SST groups like the Meat Puppets and Saccharin Trust, as well as Cleveland's Dada rockers, Per Ubu. Although the band featured the brilliant and hysterically funny Peter Bastrielli on saxophone, my enthusiasm for the project soon waned after Richie brought along his then-girlfriend, Cynthia Bartel, bassist with the Minneapolis alt-rock group Tet Noir, to hold down the bottom end while he shredded on lead guitar. The Violent Femmes get back together in 1988. Lots of lineup changes since then, Some break, lots of breakups, reunions, lawsuits. They reunited in 2013 with original drummer Victor De Lorenzo. Uh, he left the band shortly after that and is replaced first by Brian Viglioni and currently with John Sparrow. And they released a record last year called Hotel Last Result. Hotel Last Resort. I found a cool interview with Brian in an old issue of Bucketful of Brains, also Ryan, from June of 1986, so prior to this record coming out, and it's about his involvement with Milwaukee psychedelic garage rock group Plastic Land. Apparently he was in the band for a few months and played on one single, 1981's Color Appreciation 7-inch. And as you mentioned, we'll be seeing him again on episode 202, Sonic Temple and Court of Babylon. 227, Sun Ra, Man from Outer Space. And then, weirdly, 186 and 187, the Nuclear War 12-inch EP. Yeah, 187 is called Atom Krieg. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you want to throw it over to Brian? You bet. All right, we're joined on the podcast today by Brian Ritchie. Brian, thanks for coming on the show. Hey, how you doing? I'm wondering, Brian, if you can take me back to your early life. Where did you grow up? I'm from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, USA. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> did you have a band prior to the Violent Femmes? I had many bands prior to Violent Femmes, like uh, the Romboids, Hitler's Missing Testy, the Libertines. That was before there was that other British band called the Libertines. Right. Lots of bands. What kinds of bands are these? Or were you like a, a punk rocker when you were in high school? I was I was a mixture. I played jazz, funk, punk, and you know just very big band music. So it was you know I, I was I was pretty diverse even in those days. Always bass, or did you start on guitar? I started on guitar, and then I started playing bass, and I would double. And of course, you know, because there's a dearth of good bass players, once the word got out that I could play bass, then, then that became uh, more in demand. Everybody wants to be the guitarist. Yeah. So if you can play bass, you can always find work. Who were your influences? In the early days, I was into Sid Barrett, Pink Floyd. And then when the punk thing happened, I was really into television, Richard Hell, Ramones, Wire. So then you formed the Violent Femmes 
were you out of high school by the time you formed? I was out of high school, and Gordon was still in high school, actually. So uh, I was a little bit older than Gordon, like I think about three years older. So I'd been out of school for a few years. Okay. And when I met him, he was actually in high school. And actually, the first gig we did was at his high school, which got him expelled. <laughs> Can you tell me that story? Well, he was supposed to play at a, um, he was being inducted into the National Honor Society. And they had like a talent show to go along with that for the kids that were being inducted. I bumped into him at a punk club the night before. And he said, hey, I'm playing at my school. You want to join me tomorrow? So we rocked up to the school. And it was interesting because his music teacher, unbeknownst to me, was my former music teacher from a different high school. He had switched schools. Okay. So when he saw me, he knew trouble was coming because he knew me and he knew that I was trouble. So uh, we were supposed to play a <laughs> like a ballad, but instead we played Give Me the Car, which at that time passed for very uh, subversive kind of material. It caused a, a near riot, wow. and then he was expelled from school and from the honor society. <laughs> so then the Violent Femmes get going. Tell me the story about the the gig with the Pretenders. Well, we were we were just playing acoustic music, and you know it's pretty much like what's on the first album. And we couldn't get gigs because the the, the clubs they just did not not think that that was rock music. They thought it was some kind of folk music. We were actually playing in the folk coffee houses, but we, 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 were, we wanted to be a, a rock band. So we thought, we knew that we were playing rock music, but they didn't. So we went to a club and we were trying to get a gig and they, they basically kicked us out. We were, we were trying to audition in person that day. Right. And they kicked us out, and we, we were very dejected. So we walked down the street, and we saw uh, the marquee on the, the Oriental Theater, and it said, "The Pretenders." So we thought, "Okay, the Pretenders are playing here tonight. Let's set up outside the theater and 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 play. Try to get some spare change." So we were doing that with limited success until. Uh, James Honeyman Scott came out and checked us out, and he was uh, he was just listening to us, and then he disappeared, and he came back with the entire band. At that point, Chrissy Hind, after hearing a few songs, invited us to open up the show. Wow! And we did that to, you know, very uh, negative <laughs> response from the audience. Well, at first, when we were first introduced, it was complete booing and heckling. By the end of it, about half of them them were cheering. I think I think they liked our spirit, and the other half were still booing. <laughs> so to this day, like people tell me, "Oh, yeah, I was there when you opened for the Pretenders," and I'm like, "Yeah, I remember seeing you in the audience." And then they say, "What?" I said, "Yeah, you were one of the people who was booing." <laughs> Never any thought of going electric? You always stuck to your guns about being an acoustic-based band? 
Uh, no, we 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 mix it up, but I'm talking um, back then. I'm sure lots of people told you you could get gigs and stuff if you if you went electric. Well, we knew that, but we the acoustic thing was we started in the summer, and we we just got bored with sitting in the basement. It was a beautiful sunny day, so we thought it would be better to play out on the street acoustically and try to make some spare change than sitting in the basement with our electric guitars rehearsing. So it was kind of a practical decision as well as an aesthetic decision. The first album obviously totally takes off. I'm assuming you toured like crazy, probably up to and including for The Blind Leading the Naked. Were you writing songs for The Blend while you were in The Violent Femmes? Yeah, I think, um, yeah, some of them were written as far back as, I guess, 1980 or even before the Femmes started. Okay. Some of the songs on that album. And other ones were written during the Femmes period. And uh, usually when the Femmes would tour, we would end up back in Milwaukee. And I had other other things going on, including... Uh, bands that played the material that were on the blend. None of them were ever considered to to use in the Violent Femmes? Well, we did some of them, like uh, Nuclear War, which anyway is a Sun Rock cover. Right. Interestingly, um, Yola Tango did a cover of my cover and had kind of a hit with it later on. But yeah, we did that in, in the Femmes. Now, you recorded and mixed it at the Perversion Room in Milwaukee with David Vartanian? Yeah. Yeah, and he also co-produced the record and played on it as well. Was he someone you knew knew for quite a while? Well, we met him through Jerry Harrison. Uh, Jerry was producing Blind Leading the Naked, and we recorded it at Dave's uh, studio, the Perversion Room. The reason why it was called the Perversion Room is because, interestingly, Jerry was best friends with David's older brother. And this was the place where they would hang out when they were high school kids, uh, which Dave eventually turned into a studio, but before that it was just a basement. And <laughs> Jerry told us that it was called the Perversion Room. They called it the Perversion Room. So... Who knows what Jerry and Dave's older brother were getting up to in there, but that's why it's called the Perversion Room. It goes back to Jerry Harrison's high school days. Okay. And considering that Jerry's, I think he's about 70, probably 70 years old or 72 years old now, that was a long time ago. Yeah. That they were perverted. Do you recall the sessions? Was it? kind of a marathon session or was it done over a length of time for the blend yeah oh it was um it was pretty quick it took about three weeks to make the whole album mm -hmm. now that's quick according to the way things worked back in those days um now i record an album in about four hours or maybe eight hours but yeah back then that would have been a fairly quick process considering that we were using analog tape and all that. Now, you mentioned that in between tours, some of the people on this record, I'm assuming you had already played with? 
Like, was it a band or was this a studio project? Yeah, a combination of the two things. Um, I had a band and some of the people from that band are on the album and then there were other guest musicians. So to some degree, I, I tailored the arrangements to the songs. Uh, so it wasn't really considered a band project, but at the same time, it was people I was playing uh, live and playing the same material live. Okay. It was a studio project. I wasn't really trying to document what I was doing live, but they, they definitely there was crossover there. All right. Can I ask you about some of the musicians then? Cynthia Bartell, who's she? She was a bass player for a band from Minneapolis called Tete Noir that had uh, a record on Rounder Records uh, label that Victor DiLorenzo, the Femmes drummer, and I produced. Oh. So I met her in that context. She was in a band that we produced. And since I was mm, trying to play guitar and sing and, and not, not play the bass, she was a good choice to play bass. And they were, they were like a really early, Pet Noir were a really early feminist, uh, kind of punk, folk, almost theatrical group. Theatrical how? Uh, they dress up in weird costumes and do little skits and stuff. <laughs> okay. I find her tone and feel is actually fairly similar to yours, to your playing. Well, probably I was an influence or there was some, just some, some common background, probably the punk influence. Okay. Sigmund Snowpack the third on hunting horn yeah, he and flumpet. Yeah. He, he also played with the femmes, um, horns of dilemma horn section and toured with us a lot. And he was, uh, well, he is one of the most important musicians in, in the like Milwaukee alternative music scene. But he came out of kind of out of prog rock and jazz rock and was classically trained, wrote symphonies and he was playing in our in the Femmes horn section. So he was part of our scene. Yeah, his his Discogs page is pretty impressive. <laughs> he had quite a lengthy career well, already. He's pretty impressive, and he and he's still going. Terry Smurl played drums on the record. He's a he was playing with he was a jazz drummer. I really liked uh, back in those days, and he also played with the Milwaukee Symphony Orchestra. So he's a trained musician, but he was really open to doing anything, and that's that's a, an interesting thing about uh, trained percussionists is that they just don't care. They just do whatever you ask them to do. <laughs> so he was completely up for anything. Uh, Victor played some kalimba on the record. Yeah, he was he was hanging around. You know, we you have to remember this was basically a a social scene that we had going on in Milwaukee that also involved playing music. So you have people. I mean, we used to just hang out at the studio, and and that meant. Anybody from any band would go to any other band's recording sessions and just hang out. Right. It was, um, that was the vibe back then. Who's Michael Blair? He played some percussion. 
Michael is, um, well, he's a very famous drummer. He, he played with Tom Waits on Rain Dogs, and he played on Lou Reed, Magic and Loss. And, and, and he played on Frank's Wild Years with Tom, played with Elvis Costello, and now he lives in Sweden. Yeah, we were hanging around with him also. We were Tom Waits fans. And he, he played on some of the Femmes recordings as well, like as a secondary drummer. Kenny Baldwin on Anti-Rhythms. Kenny was a really great jazz drummer from Milwaukee. Unfortunately, he passed away recently. But he all, I met him because he owned like the punk club, which was called the Starship. But he he was really shrewd. He he booked a lot of great bands into the Starship. It was mainly a punk club, but other bands played there. Like I saw the Ventures there, wow. Sunrise Orchestra, Captain Beefheart. I mean, it it was a great club, and he was a fantastic drummer. So he was one of the people we played with. I'm gonna have to get you to help me with Peter's last name. Peter Balistrieri. Sax player, also from the Femmes horn section. Yeah, he seemed to be a frequent collaborator yeah. for you. Yeah, he wrote a, a lot of the lyrics, or not not all of them, but quite a few of them, on my solo albums. And yeah, we collaborated writing songs. Mm -hmm. And he was just a fun guy to be to have around and very um, musically intrepid. He, he he was always willing to do anything and try anything. I'm wondering if you can tell me about the project Boy Dirt Car. Well, that's Darren Brown, who um, also was in the Femmes Horn section, and he was our tour manager for a long time. And Boy Dirt Car, well, they had some shifting me uh, membership, but it was one of the early, what we, what's now known as industrial music bands. So they came out, I mean, they weren't in the absolute first generation like uh, Throbbing Gristle, for example, but they came out shortly after that. And yeah, they have an international reputation and, and quite uh, well-respected in that genre. Right. Abdulhamid Alwan on Tabla. Well, that's exactly like what it sounds. He was... Um, a friend of mine who plays, he plays the Arabic tabla, which is the hourglass-shaped drum. And he also played on the Femmes, uh, Blind Leading the Naked, on one of the songs, Candlelight Song. And he plays on some of the songs on my solo albums. And I'll probably butcher this name too, but Bill Shafgen? Bill was, um, he was the most advanced uh thinker in the jazz world in in milwaukee like starting back in the 1970s i guess so they were he was playing very well like ornette coleman and other kinds of uh, freer jazz not just the standards although he could play that and i was a big fan of his playing and his band he had a band called what on earth which were I mean, they were the most avant-garde jazz band Milwaukee had at that time. 
and nobody was doing that music. I mean, it's not like now. You can easily find that music now in America, even though it's still a, a very niche market. But back then, nobody was doing it. So I got him involved. He also played on some of the Femmes recordings. Sorry, what was the band you just mentioned? What on Earth? Yeah, What on Earth? Yeah. Question mark. So bands like them and Boy Dirt Cart, were they playing around as well? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, w that wouldn't have been the same scene. It would have been different scenes, but people who are musically inclined would freely go between scenes. It was an underground. It was definitely an underground in Milwaukee. Your own playing on this record, your guitar playing is very realized. So I'm not surprised to learn that you were already a guitar player. You know, you're kind of shredding on this record a little bit. Yeah, that was a strange moment in my life when I felt like felt like being a lead guitar player, <laughs> which is something that I don't aspire to very often anymore, but I, I can still do it. It's just, a, to me, it's like a professional thing that I can do, but I don't choose to do it. I, I'm, I'm, now I mainly play shakuhachi, and I, even if I play guitar, I'm playing uh, banjo or like some weird six-string bass or something like that. So I no longer aspire to be um, a guitar hero, but you can hear on, <laughs> on that album that I, that I can do it, yeah. and sometimes I do it. Yeah, you certainly had the chops, for sure. Uh, lots of influences coming in to this record, and in the Violent Femmes at this time, too. There's some hip-hop influences, I would say, on this record. Definitely some world music. What were you listening to around the time this record came out? Well, I'm not really sure if they even had the term world music yet. Maybe they were just starting to use that term. And I don't really like that term because, um, well, sometimes people say, when did you start playing world music? And I'll just say, well, when I was about 13. Because that's when I started playing rock music. And to me, rock music is world music. You've got African rhythms. You've got the Spanish instrument, the guitar, which is the main instrument. And, you know, then you've got Irish and British Isles melodies happening. So really, all American music is, is, is already world music. But, you know, I know what you're referring to there, which is the inclusion of overtly Eastern and maybe African influences. And I, yeah, I was really into that, but I, I don't really see music in terms of boundaries. It never made any sense to me that, that you couldn't uh, mix any kinds of music together as long as it sounded good. True. You cover Sun Ra, as you mentioned on the record. And on the next record, you have a, a song about Sun Ra. I'm assuming he was an influence? He was beyond influence. He was like, well, he was my hero, and he was a hero to, to basically almost all of the musicians on that album and also in the Femmes uh, circle. We saw him play many, many times. In fact, Victor used to work at a jazz club in Milwaukee called the Jazz Gallery. And when we first started with the Femmes, Gordon had not really 
he had not played in a band before. He had never had played with a rhythm section. So he had really good songs, um, and we were playing those songs, but then we wanted to improvise because Victor and I always improvised. We were strongly influenced by jazz, and we were even actually playing jazz sometimes. But to, to Gordon, that was not, he didn't understand it. He didn't understand the concept of improvising. It was like, you just play the song. Right. So Victor invited him to see Sun Ra's band play at this club that Victor was working at. And then when Gordon saw Sun Ra's band, he's like, okay, now I get it. Now I know what you guys are trying to do. So that, that was a big influence on the Femmes, even though you, know, you might not really hear it, but it was. One of my favorite tracks on the record is called Song of the Highest Tower, and you put music to a, a poem. Well, that's a really interesting uh, song. The, the lyrics are from Arthur Rimbaud's Song of the Highest Tower, and there was a translation by Louise Verez, who was the wife of composer Edgar Verez, you know, who was a big influence on Frank Zappa and well, just a huge... Uh, composer in the 20th century. Anyway, she translated his poetry and came up with, I based it on the English uh, translation because I'm not really going to be singing in French. Right. So I wrote it, and then that guy, Terry Smurl, who, uh, who you mentioned earlier, the drummer, we were trying to cut it, and he was like completely baffled by it. If you listen to it, it sounds very simple. And after a while, he was like writing stuff down on a piece of paper. And then he says, this song is in 15-8. So 15-8 time signature. And, uh, you know, I hadn't even thought about it. I was just writing music for the, the to go along with the lyrics. It sounds like a waltz, but it isn't really a waltz. It's in 15-8. <laughs> yeah, that's just an interesting technical detail. <laughs> but it's it's just a pretty song, actually. Mm -hmm. As is the title track, The Blend. What's that song about? Uh, the Blend was a smoking substance that we used to indulge in back in those days. Ah. So it was called The Blend. Okay. Some of the other themes on the record, there's a strong Cold War Reagan era stuff some a lot of anti-nuke sentiment and some religious themes as well yeah there was a certain amount of topicality of some of the music i did for sst mm -hmm. and unfortunately a lot of it would it would be just as valid now or or as uh, well the same same stuff is happening it's even true. worse it's true yeah than what about back then so it was a, pro yeah, a certain amount of protest material there. How did you end up on SST? Do you know? Well, I contacted them because I had recorded the album for my own amusement. And then I thought, okay, I've got an album here. And I was looking around at the labels that, uh, that might be suitable for it. I was really into the Minutemen and some of the other SST bands like Meat Puppets, Husker Du, 
And I thought, well, maybe they would be interested. So I sent it to Greg. And of course, you know, as you mentioned, the guitar playing on this album, so he would probably would have appreciated that. And I, I remember he was very much into the production on the album. Like it was very good sound quality. Yep. Not all of the SST recordings had or even tried to have good sound quality. So I think he liked the idea of having a premium like production on the label. Did you tour the record? We toured in all over America, pretty much, and all over Europe. Never did make it to Australia, but um, with with that band. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we toured. We toured quite a bit, and it was it was well received um, at the club level. Mm-hmm. We played a lot of the a lot of the clubs, like smaller clubs, like. Uh, like the Blue Note in in Missouri, and I can't remember all of them, but whatever was the touring, like the uh, 9:30 Club in DC, clubs of that of that kind of size. And what kind of bills would you have been put on with these? Like, would you have been playing with with punk bands or like? I guess by this point, there's more of a almost like a college rock scene, for lack of a better term, happening. So. As far as the SST connection is concerned, one of the bands we toured with a lot was was uh, Meat Puppets. Right. We did a whole, whole tours with them, and we still know those guys. Like uh, Meat Puppets just played a few gigs with the Femmes maybe two years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Meat Puppets, great band to tour with, and their audience liked what we were doing. Yeah, that would have been a good fit. Your next release. 1988's Sonic Temple and Court of Babylon. Can you give me a little teaser on that one? Is it similar to the blend? Yeah, I think th- I think that they were similar. Um, Sonic Temple maybe is a little bit more uh, cohesive, like as a as an album, because it it did come out of more of the live band that I was doing. Mm-hmm. And has like specific membership rather than uh, using different people on every song. But basically, I mean, from this perspective of today, I'd say that they're that they're pretty much the same. When would have been the last time you've played any of these songs live? Hmm. Good question. Mainly, I'm doing instrumental music now, so I'm not playing most of those songs. Yeah. I can't remember the last time I, I would have done it. Yeah. Except I still do nuclear war every, every once in a while. I should basically revive some of those songs uh, in a different form. Yeah, tell me about some of your current projects. What are you up to? Well, I live in Australia now, mm-hmm. and let's just pretend like the world is not in complete, uh, what do you call it, hibernation. <laughs> right. But. If not for that, I would be on tour with the Femmes right now. Mm-hmm. And besides that, down here in Australia, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the music curator at the Museum of Old and New Art, which is the largest museum in the Southern Hemisphere. Wow. And we have a huge music program, including festivals, plus over 100 musical events a year on site. So that's a big 
project for me, but it's a lot of fun because it brings me into contact with all kinds of different musicians from different styles of music. I play with the Australian Chamber Orchestra, which is it's an incre- it's an incredible orchestra. There's 12 string players, and then sometimes they augment it with other uh, musicians. So I'm one of the one of the extra musicians, and also like for example, Jim Mogini from Midnight Oil is also playing with the Australian Chamber Orchestra. So usually. When they want to do rock, jazz, and folk music like Nick Drake uh, or Nirvana and, and stuff like that, then they'll bring me and Jim in to give some kind of uh, rock <laughs> grit. Or, uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I play also, well, I'm, I'm, I'm very heavily involved in Japanese flute, shakuhachi. Mm-hmm. which I play traditional Japanese music and I teach it and I also play jazz and, and improvised music on it so that's like what I what I was doing with uh, these SST albums as you pointed out was kind of stepping into the world music realm somewhat at that point but I didn't completely have the um, the knowledge to to immerse myself in it but now, having mastered the shakuhachi, by mastering, I don't mean that I've mastered it, but we just say that, but it doesn't really mean that. It just means that you're proficient. Right. Anyway, so I can play, I can actually play music from other parts of the world on that instrument, and I incorporate that into something that's a mix between like what I was doing on SST and and the traditional music that I've studied. So that's, I have a wide range of activities. Mm-hmm. And I'm also, I just do, I'll play with anybody that I think is worthwhile. So it keeps me on my toes and I'm very, I'm, I'm more active probably than, I mean, notwithstanding this uh, pandemic, but even in the pandemic, I'm I'm broadcasting a, a a live performance every day from my from my house. Oh, cool! Where can people find that? I I put it out on Facebook Live. Okay. So sometimes it's very abstract. Sometimes it's rocking. Sometimes it's. I'm trying to think if I did any of these SST songs. I don't think I've done any of them, but maybe I should dig a, a few of them up. Yeah. I've done over 120 concerts now. Wow. And what about recordings? That happens periodically. Uh, I also have a surf band, actually, which is called The Break. And it's it's me and uh, then Rob, Martin, and Jim, who are the drummer and the two, two guitar players from Midnight Oil. Mm-hmm. So we have an instrumental surf band, and we've we've put out several recordings recently. Oh, that's cool. So there's yeah, there's all kinds of stuff happening. Is there a central location where people can find you, like a website? No, <laughs> I'm not that organized. <laughs> there's a Facebook page, I'm assuming. Yeah, yeah, yeah my my Facebook page, yep. and the break has a Facebook page. Fems obviously yep. have Facebook. Instagram and uh, 
Museum of Old and New Art has a page, and, and Mona Foma, my festival, has a page, so they can, they'll have to do a little research, but I'm pretty easy to find out about. Right on. Brian, take care over there, and thanks so much for taking the time to talk to me today. I appreciate it. Yeah, that was good, and uh, looking forward to hearing your podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. All right. Lots of info there that I had no idea about in terms of what Brian was doing other than Violent Femmes and this record, too. The guy is active and creative. I, I was impressed but not surprised because I'm sure he would be, you know, a great fit, but that he was also, you know, the curator um, at that museum. Yeah, that's uh, that makes a lot of sense for me in terms of having actual artists and musicians do that. Yeah, some of his early bands, I was unable to find anything about like Rhomboids and the Libertines. But his surf band that he has with those guys from Midnight Oil, The Break, they're pretty cool. Yeah, you can you can check out an album of theirs called Church of the Open Sky. Bill Shofkin from who plays trombone on this record, he talks about his band What on Earth. I really wanted to hear them, but I don't think they officially released anything. Yeah, that may tell. be the problem. Yeah, yeah, I did a little bit of digging, but I'm I gotta look some more. Do you want to talk about these tracks, Ryan? Yeah, man. History lesson, part two. All right, so what's the best way to go through these? Should we go through them in order? Um, or should we maybe talk about some stuff about the record first? Well, I think we kind of covered off where it was recorded and who most... I think we covered off all of the, you know, the extra musicians who were kind of in his social circle that played on this record. Yeah. You can just see how this came together, hey? With people from... Yes from the from his scene oh for sure yeah. i mean you know brian is best known in the femmes for bass playing and for me a big highlight on this record is the bass playing but it's not brian it's cynthia yeah okay well let's go through the tracks so we've got alphabet ri written by brian and and also by peter bestrielli this is the one where i was walking around all week just going no, 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 bah, no, bah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it has that that line from Nobody Knows the Trouble I've Seen, that yeah. old African-American spiritual Yeah, that was made famous by uh, a bunch of artists, most notably, well, one of the most notable ones, probably Louis Armstrong. But yeah, what a weird mashup tune back from back then. It uh, very, It's very cool. Also... Um, the keys and percussion, David Vartanian is uh, is performing those. The keys at the end kind of had a bit of an Axel F type sound to it for me, which I quite liked. I was surprised. I was like, oh, dude, that sounds like that song Axel F a bit. <laughs> yeah, this song's got it all. A bit of rapping, a lot of shredding, some slap yes. bass, like some weird treatment on the vocals. This was also released as the A-side of PSST. 141 the promo single and also on the b-side of sst 186 the nuclear war 12 inch so we'll be seeing this song again okay track two two fat dogs written by brian 
a kind of an anti-war song, a bit of a blues, blues track. The tone on the bass definitely sounds like Brian's in the Femmes. I checked out that album that he mentions that he and Victor produced by Tet Noir called Clayfoot Gods. It's pretty cool. It's worth checking out. Yeah, Cynthia is playing the acoustic bass, which is what Brian is so well known for in the Violent Femmes, of course. And then Michael Blair on percussion on this track. I did like, like it's definitely an anti-war song, right? Ain't get a fight in no war. Two Two fat dogs fighting over the same bone. Track three. Austrian Anthill, written by Brian, is the third track. Interesting little musical interlude. Yeah, it has uh, Brian on recorder, banjo, conch, and tusk. Hmm. And then Michael Blair on percussion. Sounds like there's a car horn in this one. Yeah, I thought it was a train almost. Yeah. Train horn. I don't know what that is. Um, it's not. It's not the recorder, the banjo, or the conch. Maybe it's the tusk? Maybe. I don't know. Okay, the title track, I guess you'd call it, track four, Days of the Blend, written by Richie and Cynthia Bartell. Kind of a downer vibe in a good way. I love the lyrics, crack in the floor where I could fall in, press my back on the sheets of clay, sweet, heavy beating of blood in the air, beautiful vision, pictures of sin. The chorus for this one is a real earworm, he mentions in the interview that the blend was a smoking substance that they partook of. Right. This was a highlight yeah. for me. I like this one. Yep, it's a good track. I agree. And it's surprising because it's not really upbeat. It's more of a slow, plodding type of tune for sure. Um, Terry Smurl on drums, Michael Blair on percussion, and David Vartini and again on keyboards for this track. Track five, Doing the Best We Can, written by Brian. This is kind of a gospel rave up. The midsection has a great guitar and bass call and response, dueling banjos kind of thing. This is another highlight for me. Yeah, Brian is actually playing the six string bass on this song, along with Cynthia playing bass. Kenny Baldwin plays anti-rhythms, it says. Uh, on the liner notes kind of i mean i think everyone who plays this type of music hates this term but kind of reminded me of cowpunk sure okay track six arab song written by brian great instro to close outside a a real treat for the ears this one lots of stuff going on with you know a lot of percussion instruments a great melody driven by richie's guitar playing his guitar solo on this one rules i actually really like this one it was a highlight for me brian's on guitar and banjo cynthia on bass again and then there is abdulhamid alwan on arabic tabla michael blair on percussion and then peter's here on sax again he's playing the barry sax on this track yeah flip it over and another album highlight for me feast of fools written by brian great production on this record brian's right it's definitely a cut above some of the records we've heard you know he he mentions that he thought maybe greg was really happy to have a record that sounded this good very well done yeah yeah this track is the b-side of that promo single and it is brian is literally tearing it up on the flute (laughs) like he can really play man yeah yeah, he, he does vocals, flute, also jaw harp, and guitar. K- 
Kenny Baldwin is on anti-rhythms again, Michael Blair on percussion, and Abdul Hamid is on the tabla again on this track. Okay, track two, side two, Nuclear War, which is a Sun Ra cover, released just a few years prior, actually, by the Sun Ra Orchestra on his album, Nuclear War. Obviously, the original has way more brass on it. This version is way funkier. And yes. as I mentioned, we're going to be hearing this a few more times, this one. Yeah, this is the one that, you know, has, I mean, it really sounds like hip hop, Yeah, I would say. What you going to do without your ass? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Um, Peter's on Barry and alto sax, as well as backing vocals. Terry Smurl is back on drums here. Michael Blair on xylophone. Victor DeLorenzo on kalimba drums. Bill Shafkin on trombone. Sigmund Snowpeck III on hunting horn and flumpet. And David Vartanian on synthesizer. Lots of people on this track. Yeah. Cynthia is not on this track, by the way. Okay. Might be the might be the only one she's not on. Okay, then we go over to a song called The Toad, written by Brian. Seems to be kind of about living his alternative lifestyle among all the straight Johns, as Watt calls them. Cool <laughs> yeah. song. I like the discordant solo sections in this one. Yeah, I like the Toad. Feast of Fuels and the Toad were my favorite on side two. Yeah. Um, Cynthia's back on this track with bass, Terry Smurl drums, and then Peter on Barry Sax again. Okay, then we go to John the Revelator, a, a traditional song, gospel blues, a call and response type of song. First recorded in 1930 by Blind Willie Johnson, but made famous by Sunhouse, who there was no. Uh, instrumental accompaniment on the Sunhouse version. It's just vocals only. Mm -hmm. I like it, though. Yeah, yeah, it's good. It's good. Um, Terry Smurl on drums and Peter on backing vocals. No sax this time. Yeah, that would have been a barn burner live, I bet, when they did this one. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah. And then we close out with Song of the Highest Tower, which talk a bit about it in the interview. Arthur Rimbaud, uh, one of his poems is what Richie used for the lyrics to this. He was a 19th century French poet, one of the creators of the free verse poetry style. This was one of his final works. He stopped writing at age 20. For me, it's a really nice ending to this record. Yeah, I agree. It's got It's pretty diverse. It's really well balanced with... Uh, the instrumentation, the vocals, the intro tracks. And I know Brian doesn't really dig the term world music, but when you read the SST catalog description of By the Spaceman, it says, combining influences as diverse as Sun Ra, Sun House, and Sonny Bono, Brian Ritchie has concocted the perfect blend for the global village. From the untraditionally traditional version of John the Revelator, to the hard funk of Alphabet. These 11 songs are the blend for the 80s. It's a good record, man. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I'm going to keep listening yeah, to it's, it. It's far out. It makes me way more interested in uh, Brian's solo stuff than I was before, to be completely honest. Way more interested. And the interview certainly helps. I mean, that's, that's a big treat for me. Um, 
when we get these people on to tell us what the scene was like for them, for the band, for where they were, uh, what the road was like back then when they're pulling these together, the studio. Um, it really makes you, well, it makes me put different ears on when I listen to these things and a whole new different appreciation. So I'm looking forward to uh, listen, uh, listening to some more Brian Ritchie on the show for sure. Yeah. How about the artwork, Ryan? So, yeah, the cover, it looks like just a very, you know, it's a close-up black and white image of Brian's face. But then there are, um, it almost looks like a piece of film, a, like a wide shot that is put along the side of Brian sitting in a room. I, I mean, I would just assume that it's uh, his his apartment or something like that, but I could be totally wrong. I thought sitting maybe in a it was... Chair, I thought maybe it was that hotel suite that he was holed up in that I mentioned. Yeah, maybe. The CD version doesn't have that little strip of film, by the way. Yeah, there's another strip of film on the back, right? Yeah. That that you're that you're referencing. You can see there is his acoustic bass. He's got a music man like an Ernie Ball head there with a couple of uh, bass cabs. Looks like he has a gold record hanging up on the wall back there i can only assume it's the first violent femmes record but maybe not maybe he's just a fan of someone else's gold record that he got yeah uh marshall lamp in the back there next to what appears to be i mean you tell me it kind of looks like an ibanez guitar could be i can't tell what type of bass that is too i mean there's his acoustic bass but then there is an electric bass right next to it and i can't tell what it is it has jazz and P-bass pickups, sunburst, but it has the tuning pegs on either side. I don't know what that is. I, I would say it's like a an Ibanez sound gear, but this is before then, so I don't know what that is. Maybe it's an Ibanez, though. The whole thing's laid out over top of what I assume is one of his exotic rugs. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Definitely fits the record because, I mean, it's a very it's a very diverse but also very personal record. And then on the insert, there are just more close-up black and white images of Brian. There's one just of his face, an eye, an ear, and his nose and mouth. Yeah, I think those are on the back of the CD version, but I could be wrong about that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. No dead wax on this one. There's a dedication. It's dedicated to Sun Ra, Sun House, and my son, Silas. Any dead wax on the promo single? Negative. Pressed at K-Disc, though. Or mastered at K-Disc. Yeah, John Golden mastered this. Yeah, the single, too. Yeah. And you know John would have listened to the songs for the single all the way through again for as sure. well. boy, John. Ballot result? Yeah, man. Ballot result. All right, I'm going to throw my hat in for Feast of Fools. That is, by a long shot, my favorite tune. I love the bass playing in it. There's, It's a great line, and there's a point in the song where um, Cynthia makes a bit of a chord, and I love that. It just gives me the goosies for sure. And then probably my second favorite song is actually The Toad. I loved those tracks on side two. Yeah, I like the Toad too, but my favorites were John the Revelator, Feast of Fools, The Arab Song, Doing the Best We Can, Days of the Blend. 
Let's do Feast of Fools. It's a good one. Oh, yeah. I loved it. Right on. Hey, thanks, Brian, for being a guest on the show. It was really amazing having him on as a guest. Totally. Ryan, speaking of amazing guests, what's next week? Next week, Brent, we start four episodes in a row with The Descendants, one of our favorite bands of all time. We're just going to go through some amazing classic tunes for the next month. We're starting off with Milo Goes to College. And Brent, we've got a special guest. Yeah, we've got the drum ogre himself. Bill Stevenson is on the show. (laughs) So excited to have Bill on. I mean, I can't believe that we had Milo on. We're having Bill on. We're so lucky to uh, have them on to pull together the Descendants story on the Mojack show. Love it. Yeah, my 14-year-old self is like, can't believe it. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, all at MojackPod. We post all kinds of info and tons of pictures of the bands and albums we discuss on the show. Our blog is MojackPod.com. Please check it out for some exclusive content. If you like what we do and want to support the podcast, the best way to do that is to tell your friends about the show. Subscribing, rating, and reviewing on iTunes is also appreciated. We love hearing your opinions, corrections, and feedback, so feel free to post on our social media sites and send us an email to mojackpod at gmail.com. Thanks again for all the support, and we hope to see you next week.